Hello, sweet sisters, and welcome to Cosmic Conceptions, a place where we acknowledge that women are of nature and the stars. My name is Athena, and I'll be your guide as we explore esoteric transmissions on fertility astrology, conscious conceptions, women's health, and more. Here we will not shy away from the radical, the controversial, or the spiritual. So grab your tea, and let's get cosmic. everyone and welcome to episode 15 of Cosmic Conceptions. This week we have the great privilege of witnessing Jennifer on her preconception journey through the portal of my one-on-one signature offering in Fertile Moon. So I hope that by getting a little access into what it's like to actually sit within Fertile Moon, we can all learn and deepen our understanding about how the natal chart really is quite accurate at reflecting our own energetic constitution and therefore where our unique bodies prefer to express their healing, right? So whatever it is that you're moving through in your fertility journey, whether you're trying to have a baby or you're just trying to have healthier cycles, The body is using its symptoms in order to communicate with you when something is not quite right, right? The the symptoms themselves are a language that are expressing the body's ability to brilliantly adapt to your chosen lifestyle, your environments, your emotional landscape, your spiritual body, uh, all of these things in combination, really. And something that was quite beautiful about this episode or this session is that um, the, the solutions were not extraordinarily groundbreaking or dramatic or particularly mystical or you know karmic in some in some ways that I see for other clients through their charts but really just um, very practical foundational lifestyle adjustments that really apply to anybody across the board. We talk about relationship to light. We talk about how to facilitate digestion. We troubleshoot fam charts a little bit uh, and also discuss um, how fam charts can actually potentially be inaccurate uh, just in terms of the tools that you're using to collect information such as temperatures. So Yeah, this is going to be uh, a really informative uh, example about of, you know, concerning the kinds of guidance that can be received through Infertile Moon. And of course, none of the information that is shared in this episode or in the session is intended as medical advice. I am not a medical practitioner. I am simply a humble astrologer and keeper of women's wisdom, if you will. So yes, everything discussed in here is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Uh, And of course, you know, the medicine that Jennifer is going to be alchemizing for her journey is unique 
to her, right? So we can't just copy and paste uh, from other people's lives what we think is going to work for us, even if our symptoms uh, may be exactly the same, right? Okay, so someone who has irregular cycles or very painful periods, etc., etc., even if their symptoms are exactly the same as your symptoms, it actually doesn't necessarily mean that your medicine is going to be the same. Okay, so if you are interested in having a, your chart read and more individualized uh, and tailored. Uh, advice for your experience, or maybe you're also curious about what kind of uh, messages or energetics may be in your chart regarding your karmic journey or your motherhood journey, uh, feel free to check out the links in the show notes so that you can read more about Infertile Moon or perhaps even simply order a six-month fertile transit report, which will give you a little review for the transits coming up for both you and your partner, as well as the option to um, receive the baby's sex sex prediction through that PDF. So all the information for those offerings are going to be in the show notes. Before we get started with this episode, I do want to thank Holly for becoming the newest patron of this work. If you would also like to support the show, you can click the link in the notes to start subscribing. You can, of course, subscribe through the Substack for free, but for $11 a month, you not only support the show and the work that I'm doing here so that we can continue to expand, but you'll also receive all the podcast bonus material, my monthly Ask Me Anything audio recordings, as well as my own personal and vulnerable cosmic conception diaries because I am on my own journey as well. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Okay, great. So thank you so much for sitting in session with me, not only because you're sharing your story with our audience, but also just because I appreciate how personal a you know, fertility journey is. And so for you to bring me into your, your process is something that I don't take lightly. So yeah, thank you for being here and for, for trusting me with, um, yeah, with your journey. And before we get started, I just want you to share with me what you're most looking forward to getting out of our time together. Well, I think I've looked at this part of my life in many different ways and many different perspectives. And I think this is one that I haven't looked into at all. Like, I don't know my, um, I don't really know much actually, um, about the fertile moon. And I started listening to your podcast and, and hearing more about it, but I've, I haven't really paid attention to that yet. So I'm really wondering if that's kind of a key that I haven't, um, thought about. And so I think also, I thank you for the opportunity to share because I think it's something that I haven't really done that much. I mean, even through a lot of the experiences I've had, I've tried to share with people and it just hasn't, um, afterward, I've, I've kind of wondered, maybe I shouldn't have shared that, you know, because it wasn't in a, a completely safe space where I really felt witnessed. So I think this is a great opportunity for me too, just to, to share, you know, my journey. And yeah, so I think partly just um, being able to talk to you will be really helpful. And then, yeah, really looking at the nitty gritty you know, of 
um, astrology and like how that's affected my journey thus far and what it might look in the future. So. Yeah, great. Oh, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> this will be this will be medicine for sure. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to start by reviewing your transit report so that you understand what the information in the report means and how you can use it outside of the session. Uh, and then we're going to kind of talk through your intake form and explore some of the things you shared with me there. And it'll give me an opportunity to ask more questions and see if it uh, influences yeah, how we can approach what you're experiencing. And then after that, we can review your astrology reading and in combination with what you share with me and also what we see in the chart, we can explore some of the modalities that you can use to yeah, make your experience uh, a, better, a better one, more whole and easeful uh, and hopefully more fertile. Okay. So first I'm going to start by sharing the screen with you so that you can actually see your chart or I mean the fertile transit report. Can you see that? Yeah. Okay, great. Ooh, maybe too small. So we did your transits. I did your transits here from October to March. Your fertile moon phase is 138 degree waxing arc. So it would be known as a waxing gibbous moon, most likely. Uh, and of course, you know, there are different kinds of moon apps that you can use that will make it more easier, like the easiest, more accessible way to check for that. Sometimes they are not always accurate in identifying the moon phase, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but you can um, download a couple of those and see what you what you like to use, because uh, it is a little bit easier at first glance to just see what moon phase it is than what the calculating what the arc is, of course. And are you familiar with like how to, so you said you're not, you're not that familiar with the fertile moon phase itself. Like you're just kind of new to this whole process, right? Pretty new to it. I heard your um, episode about that and I did not make the calculations myself, um, but here it is. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I can show you uh, where it is on the chart too. When we look at the chart. So yeah, your fertile moon phase is during a waxing gibbous moon. And basically how this works is it provides for you an additional fertile window that you can use to try to conceive. And this fertile window can uh, be relevant for you just on its own, just cosmically speaking. There are plenty of women in our audience and beyond who are using that window to conceive regardless of their hormonal pattern at the time or it can be used in conjunction with their hormonal cycles in order to kind of potentiate their fertility. So usually the fertile moon phase is going to be particularly potentiated around ovulation, but also even during menstruation, which is why some women get pregnant on their periods. So you can choose to use these windows. However, it feels right for you. Some women, if they've been trying to conceive for a long time and it's just not working for them, they completely abandon the traditional model of tracking ovulation and they just try to conceive within their fertile moon phases. Uh, and then other women probably are working with both windows. And I have on here specifically the exact 
time in which it's your fertile moon phase is going to come into that specific like 138 degree alignment because of course the the you know the waxing gibbous moon is going to take place for a few days theoretically Mm-hmm. So the timing on here is going to let you know exactly when that moment is going to happen, but you don't necessarily need to like, you know, wake up at 3am or whatever and like make love exactly in that hour. Of course you can, like you can totally make a whole ritual around it uh, or a ceremony, but you don't have to, you can think of it more as like the height, like the climax point of a fertile window. So like before a little bit, you know, like the day, the 24 hours before and the 24 hours after you can kind of consider the fertile window. And then of course I put the signs that the moon is going to be in. Of course, that is only for the specific moment of the fertile window, right? So for example, on October 25th at 11.58 a.m., you're going to hit that exact fertile moon phase and the moon at that time is going to be in Pisces. Now that does not necessarily mean the moon will remain in Pisces when the moment of conception happens. Uh, And a lot of your fertile moon phases happened to occur when the moon was sort of like halfway through a sign. So you only really will have like, what does that mean? Like a day before it already like passes on to like the next, you know, Mm -hmm. the next Zodiac sign. So not any super strong opportunities for like very clear boy or girl, but you know, they're, they're still listed there. Um, October. And then I have the transits, right? So we'll kind of go through these. I have the transits that are occurring for each phase. So October, of course, is infamously eclipse season. It's not necessarily recommended that you conceive through this lens of astrology, at least, um, between eclipse season. So that would be 48 hours before the first eclipse and then 48 hours after the last eclipse, because there's like the lunar eclipse and the solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. And yours, your fertile moon phase is going to occur between those dates. There weren't any other transits occurring at that time. So my only note is that is it is eclipse season. And some women, if they feel very cosmically aligned, will choose to avoid that. Uh, then you have another opportunity on November 23rd. And both you and your partner have a positive, supportive transit during those dates, you're going to have Venus conjunct your natal Jupiter, and he's going to have Jupiter conjunct his natal moon. Then you have another window, of course, in December, on December 23rd. Um, You and your partner both have a positive transit. But I did note that starting in December, you're going to be approaching your Mars and a Mars transit with your natal moon. So when Mars passes through or passes over the natal moon placement of your chart, this is infinite, infamously known as like the transit of miscarriage because it tends to Mars as a very activating energy. So when he passes over that natal moon placement, meaning like the womb, he can trigger uh, early birth especially more so if it's very, very early on in the pregnancy. So when you start getting to like the third month in the second trimester, it's not as really powerful because obviously, you know, most women, I mean, all women are going to have an unfavorable Mars placements at some point during their pregnancy, just because of how quickly Mars moves through the chart. So really, I just primarily focus on this particular conjunction and whether or not it's going to be present for that 
first trimester, especially like the first two months or so. Uh, so yeah, I just noted that there. So then of course, in January, if you were to get pregnant in January, then that conjunction is going to happen at your second month of pregnancy. Uh, and then February is when the conjunction becomes exact. I actually think on this, uh, window in February, Mars will be exactly conjunct your natal moon. So that month overall, would be more, I guess, risky, you could say, or more challenging, even though you have other favorable transits going on, including your partner is going to have favorable transits that month. Uh, and then, it, and then of course it clears up by March, uh, cause Mars takes about two and a half years, I think to go around the chart. So once you get through February, you're not going to have to worry about that Mars conjunction again for like two years. Uh, and then March is going to, yeah. So then March is going to be better. There is a South node and Jupiter conjunction happening for you in March, but it's not like the worst, it's not like the worst thing in the world, right? Like it just might be a contributing energy to your chances of success, but it's not like, you know, you also have Mars conjunct the natal Venus at that time. And your partner has a favorable transit as well. So basically the, the point in being able to see all these transits is that you can kind of get a more holistic picture of sort of like what's in the stars for how things are, you know, moving about. Um, and I didn't notice anything else that was particularly, that particularly stood out in terms of a more karmic, uh, karmic meanings. Like you guys aren't going through your Saturn returns. There's nothing happening with your nodal points. Like there isn't any kind of like, you know, like sometimes I see like a big transit coming up and it's like, oh, something's going to happen in your life. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't really see too much anything going on there. So that's sort of what the, the chart means or the, the transit report means. Does that do you feel like that makes sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to kind of diving deeper and like really understanding it. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I feel like it's also, there's never this perfect time, right? There's always stuff going on, but in general, Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you'd, I don't know, you'd be surprised. I've definitely read charts before where there's like six favorable transits happening for like oh, wow. five months in a row for people and like stuff like that. Or like, there's definitely other times too, where a lot of like challenging things are happening for a person. So it's like on one hand, yeah, sometimes it feels like there's never, there's always going to be something there. But then I've definitely also seen situations in which there's like overwhelming amounts of like supportive alignments awesome. as well as the opposite. Yeah. Okay. Great. So let's talk about some of the stuff you wrote in on your intake form. Um, I wanted to look at your fam charts. Let's see. You sent me quite a few, which is great. Yeah, I think I sent you the past six months. Um, and it was interesting kind of looking at those again, because I, in my head, I thought, oh, yeah, my cycle's like this. It's always like this. And I, I feel like in the last six months, it's been a little bit different. So Yeah, it's like you were like, my cycles are super regular. And then like, like, <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> and then, and then I opened up the charts and I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is good. We're looking at it for real, you know, because yeah. I keep charting, but I don't really, I haven't really been 
um, analyzing them per se, you know. How consistent would you say you are? Because it does, I do see that you have the cervical fluid for each chart. So do you and feel like that's definitely, like, is that accurate or is, cause I don't, I don't know how these apps work. So I don't know if they're like automatically yeah, generating say, anything. Yeah. I'm pretty accurate in, um, noting cervical fluid and then the temps for the most part, just a couple on the last chart there, but, um, those two things. And then kind of, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm definitely paying attention to that. Right. So trying to conceive, I'm like, okay, when are my most fertile days and I'm looking for the temp shift, et cetera. Um, but other than that, it's not like really every day, um, noting every single symptom or anything. <laughs> right. And then what are you using to take your temperature? I forgot the name of it. Um, but it, it's, it's one that does connect to your iPhone, but I never, I never did that. I never set it up. I just look at the number on it. So it's like an electronic thermometer. So, okay, cool. So what I was asking you, okay, what do you use to take your temperatures? You use a, the electric thing. Mm -hmm. right? so okay. Yeah. And then are you consistent about what time of day you take the temperature? Yeah, I'd say it's within an hour. Um, okay. <laughs> most days. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just wondering because uh, your temps are not really following much of a pattern. Yeah. Like there's one cycle where you had definitely had a very consistent, like, or you had a very clear spike in your temp. And then you have another cycle where... the temperature is almost the same, like the whole time. Yeah. I was wondering that one cycle. a couple like that. Yeah. It was like, well, did I just not ovulate that cycle? Um, That's what it could mean. Uh, it's kind of tricky because the, the thermometers are really tricky. Like I remember last year when I started taking my temperatures, I just had a curiosity. I took my temperature with the same thermometer three times in a row. And I got a different number every single time. Whoa. And so then I realized that maybe my temps aren't as accurate as I think that they are. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I'm asking like what you use to take your temperature. Cause it's kind of hard to see a pattern in your cycles and where you do chart your cervical fluid. Well, this one, you didn't chart that you had any. Oh, really? It's like, I'm, I'm really cognizant of that, like during the cycle and, um, yeah, try to be consistent, <laughs> but I do think I want to switch to paper and just, you know, doing that every day and, right. and kind of getting more things, like, I guess, but it's like, I've kind of gone back and forth with that because sometimes like, you know what, maybe right. I just don't want to, <laughs> you know, well, maybe. it can kind of get like obsessive. Cause like you, then you're just like constantly monitoring your body like every day and like looking at all these charts. And then you're also trying to get pregnant and it's just like, yeah, you know, I do ask my husband sometimes like, can you, I'm going to take my temperature. But can you just look at the numbers and put it down? You know, because right. like, I just don't want to use it in my head, especially during that. Do uh, you have any other symptoms mid cycle where you like really know 
that you you've like ovulated, you don't necessarily need the temperatures to be aware of that. I do often feel a little cramp on one side, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I, I definitely notice it in my libido also, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> like I can, I can tell what, like most of the time, which days are probably like ovulation days and, yeah, I mean, that sounds, I, I haven't done that in a long time, just not charted anything. So I was kind of curious about trying that also just to see what it, what it feels like, though there mm-hmm. have been months where I um, specifically said, okay, not, we're not trying this month. Like I've, you know, given us that, that break and mm-hmm. even longer time, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious what that would be like. Cause I do have those other indicators. It doesn't need to be temperature right i mean it's helpful to have these charts now because like we can check in with what your body has been doing for the past six months and like you know you can see the temperature is tricky it's like i don't not really sure what the temperatures are telling me especially because i don't know how accurate your thermometer is Uh, i do see a pattern when you do chart your cervical fluid that you definitely have a rise in fertile mucus so that's there the, the cycle in general seems to kind of shift, right? Like the total cycle length. But even your ovulation always seems to be around, like your, like your, if, if I just looked at your cervical fluid, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of seems to peak. Actually, it kind of seems to peak around day 11. Mm-hmm. And then it's weird because this cycle, it's like, I forget what day it is. <laughs> it says there, um, what day 17, 18, maybe. And it, and it's still fertile mucus. So I have no idea what's okay. going on. Yeah. And then the total cycle length is like 25 days, 21 days, 25 days, 26 days, 27 days. Yep. It just really depends. And then 16 days. That was okay. weird. Not 16 days. I, and I thought, well, maybe, I am trying to sync up with the full moon, ovulating Mm -hmm. on the full moon. Yeah. I mean, that would be magical. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So we're going to hold on to this info. We're going to put that aside. Um, You mentioned migraines, which can also be related to having irregular hormones, right? And you said that it usually usually get migraines before your period and sometimes mid cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you were on birth control for six to seven years. How long has it been since you stopped taking birth control and between now? Oh, that was my early twenties. Okay. That I stopped. So, so it's been a while. It's been probably a couple decades. So. <laughs> <laughs> A long time. Yeah. I did look up the date. I looked up the date of your loss on February 27th. Um, You did have Uranus uh, squaring your natal moon, which I'm not saying that that was like the end all be all cause, but it definitely uh, is a challenging, a challenging presence because Uranus brings sort of, you know, Uranus is the electrical planet. 
and he brings a lot of unexpected happenings into people's lives. So a pattern that I'm noticing with women, whether it comes to their birth outcomes or uh, issues with their IVF transfers or having an early birth, that oftentimes Uranus can be lurking around, kind of making challenging aspects to some of the key placements in the nail chart. So I thought that that was interesting, that there was definitely something going on on that day. And you also said that you were moving. You said I had just driven from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. So there might be something. Yeah, there's probably something there too. So this is where we start to look at, you can see how like, the physical, emotional body layered with the cosmic, you know, energies. And then you have these like perfect moments of mm-hmm. yeah, exp- these expressions. I mean, I was like, well, I guess my it doesn't want to be born in Philly. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, just the, the journey after that, like we don't have to mm-hmm. go all into it, but a lot of moving and changes and things falling through. It's like, we were just being mm-hmm. led our new home here in coastal North Carolina. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here. Yeah. There's a lot. Okay. So then, and then anything else you brought up the migraines again. Um, and then you have some pain in your foot and knee. You have some aches and pains. Why don't we talk about the weight gain? You said I've gained over 20 pounds in the last couple of years. What do you feel? Yeah. How has that been for you? Um, I didn't really notice it. I think it was just more recently. Like, and I don't own a scale or anything. I, you know, just like stepped on one one day and, oh, well. And I did, you know, I mean, I have noticed like, oh, I'm wearing some different clothes, uh, but I feel pretty good in my body. I think that's what's so like confusing is that um, I was telling you, I'm really thinking more about what I'm eating and um, actually letting go of a lot of control around food, you know? And I mean, I think my weight has really gone up and down over the last um, several years actually. So it's, it's not surprising, I guess. Um, But I think I was surprised because I'm like really prioritizing nourishment, but maybe that nourishment has just, you know, you know, so that my body is a little, a little bit bigger and I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's just more a curiosity and yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, about So do you feel like the waking, like when you look back, cause I know it sounds like it happened gradually and you didn't really notice it at first. Um, do you feel like it accompanied any major life transitions or like stressful events? Like maybe even like after the fact, Hmm. No, I mean, maybe the opposite, even that we're finally settled in one place mm-hmm. and moved around for so long. And it's just like, I, it's two years being here now. And I'm just starting to feel like, oh, wait, okay, we're here. We're going to stay. Like, so maybe even settling into that mm-hmm. space, it's just, um, yeah, maybe my, my body does finally feel like safe and comfortable to yeah and you know I don't, yeah I don't really have really have a a problem with it when I think about how how do I feel it's more you know my brain going well or some other people maybe in my life that might be saying 
what's going on with that? Like, you know, you gotta be worried about, gotta lose weight, you know? Like, well, <laughs> yeah. So I just was wondering, um, astrologically speaking, like if there's, there's something. Mm. something. Okay. Well, I was, I'm asking because your story sounds very similar, like extremely similar to mine and my body's uh, recent pattern of (laughs) like expansion compared to like what I used to be, you know, and also very similar story in which basically was like, chronically moving around and running on stress hormones constantly for like three years. And then something interesting happened after we kind of settled into our current situation where I didn't change anything about my lifestyle, but my body just put on like probably 15 pounds. And like, I didn't even notice it while it was happening. Um, and very similar what you're saying, like, it's weird. Like I feel very comfortable in my body, but then like, it's like, I look in the mirror and I'm like this totally different person. Like what? <laughs> so yeah, I just, I wanted to just provide that mirror for you. Cause I think that there's something, there's a specific like psychological pattern that, that is there. Yeah. I wondered about that too. I think I mentioned people have even asked me like, well, when are you due? <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> hard Cause I'm, I mean, it kind of stings because like, I want to, you want to be pregnant, you know, but to say, nope, not pregnant. Right. Like, it's just this weird double-edged sword, sort of like, huh, yeah. like, why, why is that happening? And, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's just really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll put that aside too. I, I highlighted too in your, in your intake that you sometimes get dizzy and overwhelmed and like, you need to lay down and organize your thoughts. Um, so we'll talk about that when we look at your chart, because I think that there's some things <laughs> channeling into that. Um, totally. And then, okay, great. So you're burnt out on supplements and cleanses. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> it's like, done. Done in that department. Okay, great. Um, okay. Oh, and then I just as, a, as an aside, because I know you also put wrote me an email about heartburn and like taking bitters for heartburn and that you weren't really sure that they were working. And I just wanted to offer that, like I was taught at least, and it is commonly known that bitters help more so with digestion in that it stimulates uh, the gallbladder Mm -hmm. and stimulates like digestive juices, blah, 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 to, to assist with digestion. I wouldn't necessarily think to turn to bitters for heartburn I would more so think about like soothing, um, kind of like demulsant herbs for that. Not that I've, I've not, I've never like worked with herbs in terms of heartburn, but I'm just offering through like my training and education that usually we work with bitters prior to eating because we want assistance with digestion and stimulating the gallbladder and getting all of those juices flowing. Uh, the whole food version of that is eating bitter greens before a meal. Uh, which is popular in some cultures. So, um, yeah, and we can we'll, we can talk more about digestion and things like that that might help with heartburn. Um, but I just wanted to note that so you're not like taking all these bitters and then wondering why it's not helping with your heartburn. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping that taking them, yeah, before eating would prevent heartburn, but I'm not finding that. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that that would help you. <laughs> Okay. And then maybe we can get into this at some point too, because you talked about how you have a lot of fear coming up. 
like that, that you definitely feel a strong alignment and desire to conceive and birth the baby, of course, but then also that a lot of fears are coming up. And then you mentioned that it might be an opportunity to heal your mother line so that there's, you have a history in your mother line of anxiety, depression, and suicide. Do you want to say anything about that before we? Yeah. I mean, I think even having this time so far has allowed me the opportunity to heal a lot of things. And, um, I'm trying to think like, what is the, the fear? Um, I think it's also realizing like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to do things really differently. <laughs> yeah. Than my, my mother and, and my grandmother, et cetera. And just really feeling comfortable in that. And I mean, if not even comfortable, like really feeling resolute, I guess in like, okay, I know what's right for me. And, um, yeah, just coming from it from a completely different perspective, I think, of what it is to conceive and birth a baby. And, mm. you know, it's going to look really different. And I think I know that that might not always, you know, um, be completely comfortable with my family. And that's just, you know, like something that, that I, I get to walk through. But, yeah, I think this time has really allowed me the opportunity to to feel um, really steadfast in that. And um, yeah, so it's like this excitement. Yes, I want that, but also like, oh, it's going to, oh, it's going to yeah. be tough. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be friction, friction, I guess, tension. Who knows? And maybe I'm just making up a story about that, but it's, mm. yeah, like it's, it's just kind of cool to look back on the experiences my, my mother had, my grandmother had, um, and to really have a lot of compassion, you know, for them and, and what they went through. Um, yeah, I mean, that just feels like such, such a blessing if I, you know, this does come to fruition and I'm, and I'm able to heal that. And for my mom, especially to see me, um, as a mother, you know, and with that, yeah, I can relationship. So yeah, it's just you know, going through it and, and, um, yeah, I feel like it's, I've come to a place where I am ready to do that. You know, mm. I think there's a lot of like, um, yeah, fear around that or fear even looking at some of the, some of those things and some of my own tendencies that are the same, you know, as my ancestors and I'm going, all right, well, I have an opportunity to shift it. So yeah. How long have you been sort of, well, I guess, how long have you been in preconception at this point? Um, I would say we're in preconception a little over five years, although it's probably about half of that time that we've actively been trying, you know, mm. it's, there were seasons of, yeah, moving around going, we don't know where we're going to live. We're, mm-hmm. It's just not the right time, you know, and and I was thankful for that. I feel like in those times we really did build our relationship um, even more. And I, I feel like without that, and you know, if we did get pregnant, like it would be, it would look completely different than it does now. You know, so I feel really a lot more solid in our relationship. And there's still work to do, but it's just, yeah, I feel, and I wonder if that's also about my weight gain or just expanding or just this 
you know, um, being here the last couple of years, yeah, it's a completely different feeling and this like Mm -hmm. frequency feeling of just like, oh, okay, settling into um, being the mother, you know, I feel like I'm really like embodying that so much more in my life. And, and it sounds weird to say, but, but it's kind of like, well, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, like, there's something, there's something else, you know, Mm. for me. And I mean, I don't know. I don't think I've said that out loud to a lot of people, but Mm. it really, I don't want to sound like, oh, I've decided I don't want to have children. Like, that's not it. That's not it at all. It's just, yeah, really coming to this place of like, feeling myself and what I am, you know, Mm -hmm. and just sharing that with other people and whether it be nurturing a baby or nurturing some other creative projects or something, you know? Yeah. It feels really good. (laughs) That's such a great place to be. And it is, it is a weird thing to express to other people because most, you know, women don't operate in that paradigm. It's just like, I want to have a baby and I will do anything it takes to force it to come. (laughs) Like, you know, like being in a more temperate place is not really part of the (laughs) path. So yeah, it's really beautiful to see you. um, Yeah. Walking in alignment with that and being very curious about your path. And like you said, like, you know, a lot of what you're doing on this, journey is for your growth and it's improving things about yourself and your partnership and other aspects of your life. Um, that it's like, why, why wouldn't you want that? Whether or not, you know, it means that a baby is coming (laughs) in many ways, you know? So yeah, it's very, uh, courageous. I think it's kind of cool just to like invite a soul into, you know, what you've created also like, Mm -hmm. you know, an important part of that. Um, but I think what I clung to for so long was that the baby, it's going to make our family complete, you know, <laughs> like, right. and this is what it's, about. it's you know, it's just a, a completely different way of, um, of being, I think. And yeah, it feels a lot better, you know, just to, to allow mm-hmm. for sure. Like surrender. I think I said in my intake form, like, I'm not surrendering in this collapsed, like victimized, you know, state of like, right. Um, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, I like the word allowing. I think it sounds good. <laughs> good yeah. <to> me. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to share my screen with you again, and we're going to talk a little bit more about your chart. Okay, so you said that you're not very familiar with this, right? Like you're not very familiar with your chart or your astrology or anything like that? Not too much. I've had a Vedic astrology reading, but I know it's a little different. Um, yeah, yeah, so the circle is, is pretty new. Cool. But I do my sun sign, my moon sign, and my rising sign is, so yeah. Yeah, That's- yeah, so you're a Virgo, and right and the pisces or no sorry an aquarius moon and a sag rising i'm also a sag rising so 
So all of our, <laughs> all of the signs are in are the same houses as each other. Uh, yeah. And you were born on a Thursday, which is the day of Jupiter during the hour of the moon. And I did find that uh, some lunar therapies might be beneficial for you, which usually the hour in which we were born, just I'm just noticing this pattern where it tends to be kind of like uh, untapped potential for healing modalities that are very compatible with our, you know, our nature, our cosmobiology. So let's talk a little bit about the the sun and the moon first because the sun is sort of where you are getting all of your vital force from right this is these are sort of like your reserves and then the moon is sort of how that energy is being channeled throughout your system so virgo is kind of uh tricky because virgo is an earth sign but virgo is also a mutable sign which means that uh, Virgo is sort of uh, present when the seasons are changing, right? Like Virgo season is primarily in September when there's kind of this, you know, this dance between summer ending and fall beginning. So the mutable signs tend to be more like the more like nervous expression of all the other signs in their element. So Virgos, although they are, they have the stability of the earth element, they do tend to be a little bit more strung out than the other, the other signs are. Uh, And of course this is going to, you know, we're going to get into your Libra stellium because that's like a whole other thing. So, <laughs> so let's take this part with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> because you have your, like I said, your son in, in Virgo. So you might have this underlying disposition to have a very strong vital force, but maybe you are being more sensitive to being a little bit strung out or nervous or having more of like a neurotic disposition than the other signs. Uh, Virgos also tend to need to play clo- pay close attention to their nutrition and digestion. Uh, but for a lot of Virgos, they naturally end up being interested in this, this realm of their health and healing, which again, you may or may not uh, feel resonant with. Um, we can, I can ask you more about that as we, we go through. Um, yes, but then, then we have the Aquarius moon. So Aquarius moon, um, requires a lot of care. (laughs) The the Aquarius moon is very, uh, it distributes the vital force very erratically. So you have this strong energy coming from Virgo and it's being channeled through the Aquarius moon, which is, you know, Aquarius is ruled, uh, in part by, uh, Uranus. So Again, we have this kind of like impulsive electrical energy where you might experience great waves of energy and then great crashes of energy. Some days you might feel like you're really like, you know, you can do a lot of things. And then like the next day, you're just like, oh, my God, I just want to lay down, <laughs> like collect my thoughts. Right. Like kind of like what you were describing in your your intake form. Um, these natives also require a lot of uh, quality rest and quality nourishment, nourishment specifically for their nervous system as well. And we're going to talk about that because there's like a couple points in here that, um, that kind of all come together on, on that front. So, and then they are especially sensitive to things like electromagnetic fields, you know, disturbing loud uh, noises, um, crowds of people or other energetically charged environments. How's that all? How's that all sounding? You're like, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So 
in addition to this being how the vital force is expressed, you have a Libra stellium in your chart, which means you have five planets in Libra. So there's a lot of Libra energy. And it was kind of interesting because when I was sort of considering what your con- like your core constitution might be, you have this nice little balance, right? Of like your rising sign is fire and your sun sign is earth and your moon sign is air. Uh, so like, you know, what is going on there? But then even in like your intake form, like I ask like, like those little tiny questions about, you know, your, your constitution essentially. And it's like, it was very temperate, right? It was like, seemed like nothing was too, like this cold for this, hot for this, but you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and then of course I open your chart and there's like all of this Libra action going on. So although Libra, you know, is an air, uh, it is an air, sign um but there's like there's a quality to libra like i said it's very like temperate right like libras are usually very easygoing they're very easy to be around they tend to like i don't want to say people pleasing because that's like probably a shadow side it's definitely like a shadow side of libra but sometimes uh when you have a lot of libra placements they can express and like not necessarily wanting to like disturb things right it's like you're not necessarily going to be the type of person who's going to like run into the streets with blood on your face and be like pussy power but like (laughs) you know you're just gonna like quietly be like i'm just gonna do my thing and like they can do their thing and like it's cool (laughs) right um so yeah the other thing about this libra stellium is that you have so you have two personal planets in Libra, which also contribute to Libra being very present in your life. But then also the um, the ruler of your first house, which signifies your physical body and your constitution is placed in Libra. And because Le- uh, you have your arising Sagittarius and Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. So when we look to Jupiter to see where a lot of your physical you know, expressions are going to come from, that's, gonna, that's in Libra. And then you also have the ruler of the sixth house, which is the house of health in Libra. And usually we look to the planetary ruler of the sixth house to understand where you might have um, healing expressions or areas of the body that would require, might require more attention than others. And your sixth house is ruled by Taurus. So Taurus's ruling planet is Venus and Venus is in Libra. So then we would look to Libra to say, okay, well, all of the organ systems and, you know, parts of the body that are ruled by Libra might be um, places in which you would have to pay more attention to your health. And of course, Libra rules hormones. And so there's a lot of like energy in Libra indicating that you may have hormonal expressions that are not altogether balanced right mm-hmm. so and the 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 way in which you know this works really is that everyone is different right and so there's a reason why when some people experience stressful situations they get headaches and when other people experience stressful situations they have stomach pain and when another person right like everybody has these different ways of in which their body communicates when things are not totally all right so what's great about looking at these charts is they can kind of be a reflection for that 
to understand the underlying energetics of why your body is choosing to express it, express itself in different ways, but it can also show you root causes of things, right? So when you were describing to me that you had migraines, one might think, okay, well, let's see what's going on in Aries, right? Because Aries rules the head. And of course, there's nothing going on in Aries, but there's all of this stuff going on in Libra because Libra rules your hormonal balance. And then of course, your migraines are occurring around ovulation and then they're occurring around menstruation. So obviously based on some of that, you know, inquiring about that alone. But then, then in addition to asking questions about when the migraines occur, you also look at the chart and you have all this activity going on in Libra. So I think it would be safe to say that you probably have migraine expressions in response to whatever's going on with you hormonally. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So you see how you can kind of like take that you can kind of use this information to like have a really clear understanding of what's, what's going on. Yeah. And I wondered that. And like when I have tests, I haven't done a whole bunch of tests, but somewhat, and it's never really, you know, indicated that, or it hasn't been consistent or it's like, doesn't seem to show that I'm having any hormonal, you know, issues. So I wondered how, yeah, how do I approach this or what do I do? How do I know what's, yeah, (laughs) what's imbalanced, I guess, or Uh, Yeah, totally. I mean, this is what, again, if I were looking at the chart to help you figure out that puzzle, I would say, you know, I think we should look at your hormones because that's what I'm seeing reflected as like a very possible point of. So are you saying perhaps, perhaps doing some more specific testing, like, we're looking at not necessarily we're going to talk about some lifestyle stuff that you can use to kind of help because i I would like to see you have more regular temperatures and cycles i think that that is like it's definitely possible for you to continue to improve your cycle health um and then maybe you might also see in response to that uh improvement in migraines and there's other things you can do for migraines too so maybe we'll chat about that um when we talk about like suggestions you know so what else do i have to note about this oh and i wanted to confirm that you don't you haven't had any issues with your kidneys in any way um i don't think so but i mean i've i've kind of wondered if supporting kidneys would be trying to remember what exactly i I read, um, yeah, I kind of wondered about just like energy in general or like, um, yeah. Mm. Oh, I know when I went to an acupuncturist, she would always work on that meridian. Really? <laughs> Did well. she tell you why? No. So she was an amazing acupuncturist, like a third generation acupuncturist. And I, I loved going, but she didn't really communicate too much to me about like what she was doing, you know? Oh, darn. I hate but that. I, I hate when they do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is this point? What's that doing? You know? And, um, she was quite curt in her answers, but she I was see. great. So I, <laughs> okay. I did, you know, did work on the kidney. Yeah. I'm so lot. curious about that. I'd be curious to look into like in TCM, what do the kidneys mm-hmm. mean and connect to blah, 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 because I'm asking because Libra also rules the kidneys. Okay. Um, basically cool. that whole like uh, lumbar region of the back. 
right? So think like where your kidneys are and where your ovaries are. Libra specifically rules the ovaries, uh, whereas, um, you know, like the moon rules the womb uh, and the Venus rules like the womb too, but then more so specifically the vagina. And, you know, like they, they kind of all have their own little parts. But Libra, because of the scales rules the two kidneys and the two ovaries just like the two scales that is symbolic of of libra so yeah maybe that's an additional little piece of the puzzle to look at (laughs) um but yeah i i assume because you're coming to me for fertility that then we're going to focus on right the the hormones um what else is going on yeah. And then, of course, you know, there's so many planets in Libra. Um, three of them are conjunct. So Jupiter, Mercury and Saturn are very closely conjunct. What that means is like, you know, it looks like in the chart, like they're all next to each other. But you have to think of it more like three dimensionally. So a conjunction um is like, let's say this fist is, you know, Saturn. And then like this fist is Mercury when they're orbiting or passing, you know, through the firmament, whatever you want to believe is up there. (laughs) When they pass over each other like this, right? That's a conjunction. So it's not that they're actually like next to each other, like it looks like in the chart. It's that they're actually like passing over one another. And so therefore their energies are combined in how they make contact with the earth and all of us earthly beings down here. So when you see a conjunction, uh, it's really, it really means that like those energies are all working together and blending together to create its own thing, its own expression, right? So like in your chart, for example, you can't have Saturn, Saturnian energy without also having the mercurial energy and also having the Jupiter energy present, which is pretty challenging. (laughs) Those are very different energies. Like Saturn is very constrictive and concerned with boundaries and order, and he's very cold. And then you have Mercury that's just like the communicator. And Mercury also rules hormones, by the way, because hormones communicate with the whole body. So he's just trying to do this thing. And then like Saturn is coming in and like holding it down. But then Jupiter is trying to be very expansive. And so there's a lot of like tension. There's like definitely a point of tension there. So again, so then we're looking at your charts, right? Your fam charts. And they're like, I'm going to be 27 days long. No, it's going to be 16 days this month. And then, you know, they're kind of like (laughs) having a little tug of war. So there's, there's that. There's also, it's like not even just that there's all these planets in that same sign, but then also you have these three very different planets conjunct one another, bringing that energy into the space. Uh, Okay. So then some other points of tension in the chart, you have Mars and the moon perfectly opposite one another. Like exactly. You have Mars at five degrees in Leo, and then you also have the moon at five degrees in Aquarius. So when you have an opposition like that, it's basically a dance between the energetics of the moon and the energetics of Mars or whatever planets are opposite one another. So in your case, it's the moon and it's Mars. And sometimes how that can manifest in the body is where 
you know, they're, they're basically in a tug of war. So when you think of like kids playing tug of war, the rope kind of goes back and forth. And sometimes it goes really far towards one team, then the other team regains their strength and they pull it all the way back towards them. And that's kind of what's happening with the planets that are in opposition. So that they need, they need, what they need to do is compromise, but that's not really what's always happening. So sometimes you might feel a lot of those lunar energies and then other times mars might take over to try to recuperate and then you'll feel a lot of martian energies so mars is very um you know it's like the male principal planet it's very very hot it's very very dry it's concerned with like movement and action it rules inflammation and the immune system uh Whereas like the moon is a feminine principle and it's very watery and soft and cold. Uh, so there it's like not, it's like, of course, these two planets in opposition, like they are extremely opposite planets. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't sound like, again, you have this like Libra stellium kind of like holding it down. Like, I feel like you have a lot of like, like it brings a lot of temperance into the chart, right? Even though you have like, this interesting Mars, like in moon challenging aspect, mm-hmm. especially just like based on what you're telling me about, like how you experience your body. Um, okay. So another interesting thing to know is that when you have a Mars affliction, affliction in the chart, it may mean that you as a person need more nutrition uh, or that nutrition might be more important for you than other people. The interesting thing too is that moon is responsible for our nutrient assimilation. So there's this tug of war happening between a planet that represents, you know, metabolism as well and like how nutrient dense you need, you know, how nutrient dense you need your food to be, as well as like the moon's role in assimilation and they're kind of like opposing one another. But then we also have like, you know, as we said earlier, Virgos tend to need to pay close attention to their nutrition. So there's a few layers here speaking to um, nutrition. Uh, And then also again, to like the moon in Aquarius uh, requires nutrition specifically for the nervous system, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, the other note here is that the other challenge, so you can see that there's not too many challenges in the chart. Um, I didn't explain this at the beginning, but I probably should have. This solid line, these solid lines that I have drawn, these are the challenging aspects, whereas these dotted lines are the supportive aspects. So primarily when you're looking at the chart from like a medical standpoint, you're really looking at um all the challenging aspects, because that's going to be where things are going to have points of of tension. So you really only have this one um, opposition right here. And then you also have Neptune uh, squaring the sun. So the planets that uh, challenge the sun are going to be a challenge on the vital force. And Neptune is kind of interesting to have challenging the sun because Neptune is very diffusing. (laughs) So you could have, it could be like, especially if there are certain transits occurring to trigger this square that's already in place, Neptune could be a little bit of a drain on the vital force. If you're not paying attention to your health and all of these other uh, aspects to your, you know, your constitution that you're, your unique body requires. Uh, So we're going to talk to you about how to approach these challenges planetarily, how we can like bring balance into them. 
So what else? And then I, I also noted that uh, the chart feels a little bit, uh, it's kind of, I said it feels a little bit windy. <laughs> so like, think like strong, like very strong, but also maybe a little unpredictable. <laughs> Just because you have so much air coming through uh, Libra, um, even though your sun is kind of holding on to, you know, representing that earth energy. But like I said, earth energy through a mutable sign and mutable signs are those signs that show up. I mean, even like Virgo season, it can be quite windy because like, again, you're shifting from summer to fall. Uh, yeah. And then you have your, your Aquarius moon. That's kind of like a little bit electrical and requiring some special attention. <laughs> So yeah, I think between um, the mutable aspect of your Virgo sun and the electrical aspect of your Aquarian moon, and then just like all of the air coming through Libra, uh, we're going to be talking about some nice grounding practices. Do you have any thoughts or questions? makes perfect sense. It's just really cool to hear. Like, okay, great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering actually if some of the Libra is like, is there this element of, of me interacting with other people and then me on the inner plane more? Like, I'm wondering if the moon and the Mars thing, mm. could that be more like an internal experience? I, I don't know. That's just a thought that an internal experience between how you experience the moon and the Mars opposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I feel like I do experience that kind of, um, more internally. I feel, I feel this attention, you know, mm. like kind of, things or like think about things or what it, yeah. It's a, um, yeah. Some kind of tension or resistance sometimes internally that maybe I don't always express externally. Um, but I know we're kind of looking at this, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the opposition is also occurring on the axis of communication. I mean, oh. you have, yeah, like you have the moon in the third house and the third house is ruled by traditionally ruled by Gemini, which is all about this, right? <laughs> Chitty chatting and, um, interpersonal communications, day-to-day -day communications, uh, quick conversations, stuff like that. Whereas uh, Mars is in op is opposite that in the ninth house, and the ninth house is traditionally ruled by Sagittarius, which is more about like big philosophical thinking and conversations and, you know, like higher education and matters of that sort. It's sort of like the bigger idea of like the Gemini interpersonal relationships like even gemini's i think like short-term travel whereas sag is like long distance travel and yeah it's like gemini is like the instagram post whereas sagittarius is buying the 10 volume set of like <laughs> you know the the researched version of whatever right like so there's like a it's in general that whole axis is the axis of um communication publication things like that. And, and your nodes are also on that axis as well. So there's like a karmic, um, yeah, thing That's happening there. 
I, this does feel familiar too. Like I've heard this in maybe the Vedic reading I had, you know, Yeah. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to be like communicating about? <laughs> or like, there's this big thing, <laughs> you know, I've really struggled with that. Like life, the life mm. purpose, stuff, you know, um, yeah. and I think bringing it back to, I think it just always felt like I'm meant to be a mother. Like that's just, that was like the mm. most important thing, you know, for, for so long. And it still is. Yet I'm looking at like, well, how else do I show up, you know, um, in the world? And what, mm. what, what am I going to be speaking about, communicating about? And so, I don't know, in a way, I think even talking to you, like, is my first leap of faith into like, let's see. <laughs> let's see yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you have, you also have Pluto in Libra, right? And I think, I believe my understanding is that you know, your Pluto placement kind of shows you what your desires were uh, in your previous life. And therefore, the sign opposite Pluto's placement in your current chart indicates um, your desires in this life. Mm -hmm. And so, well, there's a few things here, right? Because so Pluto is in Libra indicating past life stuff. And then the opposite is Aries. So Libra and Aries differ from one another in that Aries is more about the self and the ego and how you self-identify and how you forge your own way. Whereas Libra is more about other people and thinking of other people first instead of, you know, like it's more outwardly oriented. Um, But then you also have this additional layer too of, Pluto and Libra occupying your 11th house in the chart, which is more about like theme 11th house themes are like your social standing, like who you mean to your community, this kind of stuff. Uh, And then the house opposite Pluto for this lifetime, again, ruled by Aries is actually the house of children. Um, but uh, with children also comes what comes prior to that, which is like passion and creativity. So there's, is potentially something, and I'm sure you you could do a much longer reading with someone who knows like even more about evolutionary astrology than me, just about this, the Pluto and the nodes, right? Because there's definitely something there for you in terms of like, there being a, a connection to the fifth house, the house of children, and also this nodal axis occurring on, you know, the axis of communication. Well, that makes sense. Like what I mean, you're saying. I am a music teacher. I work with children, you know, um, mm. I teach. So I've always just felt like that is part, part of my calling and my purpose, you know, and yeah. It's interesting because I feel like over the last couple of years, I've I've just been so in this trying, like thinking, well, because my energy is limited, as you can see in certain places, I'm like, oh, well, I need to set my life up so that I have the room to nurture my own baby, you know, I feel like it's kind of, uh, hi, (laughs) that's so funny. Hi, Am I there? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Someone's supposed to be watching her. I don't know why she came in or where she came from. Oh, that's okay. No, it's funny because I was just talking about 
Um, I know. I feel like I was like, I feel like I've been trying to wind down certain projects in a way to make room for space for having a baby. Right. Yeah. But um, maybe that's the thing for me to focus on is to continue teaching and like communicating Mm. families and like, and I think I'm starting to realize it doesn't have to be this either or, you know, like there's a way to, to do both, but that really was a, a huge thing for me thinking like, Oh, well, this is the perfect time to have a baby because we just moved, you know, and there is the space in my life um, for that. Yet it hasn't occurred yet. So it's like, okay, redirecting me back to just being who I am and, mm-hmm. you know, communicating and, and working with children and all that. So there's yeah. medicine there. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about some suggestions, some things that we can do to respond. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Okay, so let's start with um, just briefly in terms of like approaching the migraines. Uh, have you ever kind of like kept a diary about them or tracked like exactly when you had them and like maybe potentially what was going on for you that the day of or the day before to see if there are any additional triggers? Mm-hmm. Um, I have written down when I get them. I haven't really considered triggers um, too much. No, mm-hmm. it's just... It's not about like oh like what happened and I and I've even you know thought about it in uh, German New Medicine perspective you know or other things like that but it doesn't yeah I haven't really found like this is a trigger that's a trigger you know whether it be food right. or whether it be like, energetic stuff but um, I mean the one thing that I've noticed is that yes before my cycle starts that's when it's most likely to happen for sure. Yeah. So it's probably primarily hormonal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then just to keep in mind, uh, moving forward too, like, even though it is primarily hormonal, uh, other things that can trigger migraines, of course, as you are probably already aware, are uh, stress, um, you know, emotional events, caffeine, uh, alcohol, sugar, all that kind of stuff. Um, So it might just be something to like put in your back pocket. But I think what we would want to do primarily is focus on bringing some more balance into your cycle and therefore your hormones. Um, I know you, why don't you, no, I want to talk about that last. Uh, Let's talk about your relationship with light. How does that look? Good. I mean, okay, good. And I know one thing that, um, could be better. Uh, what's good is that I do get out, um, in morning lights every morning, walking my puppy. So, and then walking him in the evening too. So <laughs> like I do see, um, both of those things and even midday, sometimes he gets three walks, but, um, what has changed is that, um, I do not have blackout curtains right now. Mm-hmm. I had to, I had to be, um, 
move bedrooms because of some work we're doing downstairs. So I'm actually just sleeping up here and there are no curtains. So I've wondered like, oh, I've been meaning to like, oh, I got to hang. Helpful. Because I, I know people have said mm-hmm. to sleep in complete, complete pitch black. You know? <laughs> so maybe. That well, how do you sleep? Um, I sleep well most of the time. Actually, I did notice recently that I, I will sometimes wake up even like 20 minutes after falling asleep for like a minute. I don't know why that happens, but it's like mm. I'll fall asleep and I wake up and I'm like, mm. and then I'll fall back asleep all night long. So okay. that was kind of strange. Once in a while I do wake up in the middle of the night or like 4am or something, you know, um, mm. but I sleep really well. I sleep probably seven and a half, eight hours. Um, yeah, it's been, it's okay. super important to me and I, I definitely make make the time and space for that. And I actually prefer to sleep alone, to be to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I'm kind of missing that. <laughs> missing that whole thing. Um, okay. Well, the curtains, the curtain situation, I mean, you're saying that that's temporary. And I mean, do, well, how do you experience it? Like, is there a ton of light pollution coming in or is it just not perfectly blackout dark? Yeah, it's just not perfectly dark out. I mean, there's some street lights, I think that, that do come in. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it doesn't bother me, prevent me from falling asleep. I think I just know, like, I've just, yeah, you're thinking about it, about it. Like, Oh, should I have blackout curtains? I don't know. And what do you do? What is the, the light situation like in your house? Do you have very strict boundaries around artificial lighting after a sunset? Um, I wear blue light blockers at night, but I'm not I'm not great about um, like turning off a television or a phone at a certain time or anything. Okay. But I yeah. blue light blockers. So what I would recommend is not leaning on the blue light blockers because <laughs> you're like, oh, I know. <laughs> I would recommend not leaning on the blue light blockers because what they tend to do is enable us to interact with things that we shouldn't be interacting with at times of the day when mm-hmm. we shouldn't be you know, doing that. So the other thing too is that, and I'm sure you're aware of this, um, you know, the blue light blockers only really prevent light from coming through the optic nerve but they don't prevent light uh, in as being, you know, synthesized through the photosynthetic receptors of your skin, right? So your skin is also responding to the light and what time of day it thinks it is based off of that. So, you know, it's like you could be wearing your blue light blockers, but if you're hanging out in front of the TV and your whole body is being blasted by blue light, like it's not really going to help you out too much. Um, so yeah, what I would recommend is maybe even like putting them away and then just like noticing, cause now you're going to be more, you know, you're not going to have those to hide behind, like start noticing, um, what you're feeding into your system after dark, essentially. Ideally, what I would like for you is to not be exposed to any artificial light whatsoever after the sun goes down, which might mean that you have a lot of things to change depending on what your routine and your schedule looks like. 
uh, especially and especially now that it's winter. So we're we're starting this a little bit more challenging time of the year. But, you know, it's like if you're getting the morning light and you're getting the midday light and you're getting the evening light, but then the sun goes down and you have all the lights on in the house and you're watching TV, it kind of like I don't like to say it screws it all up. That's maybe a little bit too dramatic, but like, you know, it, it almost like you're, you're adding an, another midday walk into your, you know, your system, yeah. you're programming another midday walk into your system right before you go to bed. And it sounds like you sleep well. And so it's not necessarily being expressed through your sleep, but because you are struggling with fertility and hormones, I feel like personally that this is going to be a non-negotiable for you. Um, and the lighting situation, you know, I mean, I'm, I personally am very committed to candles <laughs> just because like, you know, you can, you can trick it out with all the light bulbs and blah, blah, blah. But, um, I mean, fire is what all of our ancestresses sat before after the sun went down and it is what our bodies are wired to consume after dark. And so it really just is the most surefire, uh, safe, if you will, light to be exposed to after dark. Uh, and so then of course, this also means like no phone, blah, blah, blah. We're not scrolling anything like that. Um, yeah, it'll, it's a nice uh, time to come into a peaceful grounding environment actually, uh, before bed, which might, you know, I mean, maybe that will even help you as well in terms of like the waking up, you know, after you fall asleep and then, you know, so uh, this is also going to help you with migraines too. All of this is going to start going to weave together. So that's what I would recommend. Also, do you wear contact lenses? Mm -mm. No, and you don't I have glass. You don't wear glasses or anything. Surgery about nine years ago. So oh right. Okay. Okay, and you're not taking any supplements or meds, so that's good. Um. Yeah. So then I think that's great. If you already have the dog walking kind of like woven into your lifestyle and you're getting that light throughout the day, then I would, I would focus on what's going on for your routine after sunset. And I think that that is going to, I think that's going to make a big difference for you uh, in a couple places. And what else? Let's look at some of the more like fun planetary stuff going on here in the chart. Also, just as an aside, I, I don't actually normally spend too much time talking about nutrition. Um, how do you feel like you've got that covered? Do you feel good about what you're eating? I do. I mean, that's why I've been so confused about it, you know, because I'm like, I feel good when I'm eating. Um, so I have had some digestive, yeah, I feel like the digestive stuff is weird on and off, you know, mm -hmm. like elimination, like it's like, and I wonder if it's, it is, uh, impacted by stress or, I mean, I don't feel like there's a lot of stress, um, in my life, but yeah, it's never, I'm, I've never been like completely consistent, um, digestive elimination wise, like ever. So I'm kind of used to it, I guess, but I, <laughs> I, I guess that it. is to kind of look at like. Yeah, if I need liver support or or something. I did start taking doing infusions. So I have like nettle and Okay, good. So uh, Yeah. Um do you prepare like home cook all your meals? Um my husband is an amazing cook, so he does all the cooking. <laughs> and um all yeah, we we never eat out or anything. Um, yeah. 
when he cooks, are you like involved a little bit at least? Are you like around? Um, I do the dishes after, <laughs> but yeah, okay. I'm, so- I'm around. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of around, but it's also like his Zen, you know, like he likes to kind of, you know, after he finishes work, he likes to do his cooking and sure. his thing. Okay. So what I would recommend is that you find a way to get a little bit involved. Okay. Even if it means that you're just being a sous chef in the kitchen or cleaning up after him while he's cooking so that you can at least be around like the sights and the smells of everything that's happening in there. Um, Mm -hmm. Being involved in how the food is prepared is going to help you with digestion, which is also ultimately going to help you with nourishment, right? And assimilation, uh, which is going to be good for your, your moon placement, et cetera, et cetera. You make breakfast though. I make a good breakfast. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And then of course, like, you know, obviously stress, um, and any kind, any kind of like quote unquote negative emotion is going to interfere with digestion. So you want to make sure that you're, I mean, it doesn't sound like you have a very stressful lifestyle, but obviously you want to make sure that you're eating when you're genuinely hungry and also that you're eating, um, when you feel good, right? Like you should feel, you should feel good. Um, if any, or like generally I, I, reducing stress in your life so that even, you know, obvi- obviously if you dinner. ate dinner and you felt good, but then like you have to run back to your job after your lunch break, then like that's not good, right? But it doesn't sound like you have that kind of dynamic going on. Um, you froze for just a second. So I didn't hear all of that. But- oh, I was saying, um, I'll say it again. So I'm just saying, Wait, what was I saying? <laughs> oh, so like you want to make sure that you're eating when you feel good, right? So like you're not like stress eating or eating because you're angry or sad or blah, blah, blah. You're not having arguments over dinner, that that kind of stuff. Um, and it doesn't sound like you have this lifestyle, but obviously like you have to think about immediately after as well. Like I think of people who like eat lunch and then like run back to their corporate desk and then like have all this stress. Like you're obviously not going to digest your food. Yeah. I was going to say, I do need to focus more on lunch, you know, I mean, I I eat every few hours, you know, but I do think that I could, maybe that could be my really making something for myself, you know, like involved with food too. So yeah, I could eat my lunch. Okay. Sounds good. And then just for fun, you can decide if this resonates with you or not, but astrologically speaking, Virgo natives tend to require more nutrients under Jupiter's rulership. So Jupiter rules vitamin B6, uh, sulfur, biotin, choline, and fats in general. And all of those foods are basically going to be, well, except for the sulfur, the, the B6, the biotin, the choline, and the fats are found in a lot of the traditionally touted like fertility foods. So organ meats, you know, animal um, proteins, eggs, stuff like that. Um, And then the foods in high sulfur, the easiest way for me to remember sulfur foods is like just thinking of eggs and garlic, right? Um, And eggs and garlic, uh, or not eggs, onions and garlic, onions and garlic. uh, And I love working with those uh, in almost every meal, really, because, uh, well, they're amazing for for lots of things. But eating high sulfur foods is going to provide your body with the building blocks, it needs to create glutathione, which is an essential antioxidant that's involved in your liver function. 
So oftentimes women who are focusing on hormone health are also, of course, appropriately looking at liver health as well. And one of the major, um, yeah, components for to facilitate that is glutathione. So, but you can't really eat glutathione, and it's obviously therefore doesn't make sense to supplement it either. So you would ra- you rather want to look at the foods that you need to provide your body with for building blocks so that it can properly generate its own. So yeah, so that was like a little a little um, aside note about that. Okay. And then we're going to look at elemental remedies and planetary remedies that are going to bring balance into the chart, right? So this is based off of like what we see in the chart and you can kind of pick and choose what feels true for you and appropriate for you to use as tools to support you, right? So I'm primarily looking at how you have tons of air in your chart and like hardly any water, actually no water at all in the chart. Um, that, the, that there's a point of tension between Mars and the moon and a square between Neptune and the sun. So I'm going to be addressing that. So primarily in terms of elements, um, I listed in your chart reading the earth element, uh, which is funny because an earth again requires uh, earth element is represented through deep nutrition and well-prepared meals. So there's like this theme, <laughs> there's like this theme about oh, like food for you, for sure, like showing up, um, but also like mineral baths and tonics and like clay therapies and grounding, um, massage, actually weight gain is an earth element uh, expression, uh, as well as like strength training, sleep peace and quiet, just like a lot of things that will help you soothe that um, Aquarian moon tension, right? And also ground you, of course. Uh, And then planetary remedies. So we have that Mars and lunar, or yeah, Mars and moon uh, opposition. So I love, I loved bringing the moon in here because the moon is not only going to obviously bring lunar qualities into your life, but she's also going to involve the water element. So things like fluids and proper hydration, water therapies, moon bathing and gazing, uh, living in cyclical alignment. So living in, in deeper, a lot closer alignment to your inner seasons, um, and a couple other things. I'll put them all, they're all going to be in your chart reading. Um, But then of course we have to address Mars because Mars is part of this opposition as well. So Mars is, um, when we look at Mars, we're going to be looking at bringing a balance to him, right? So his, his traditional like antipathetical or like his antidote is Venus, of course. And Venus is going to help soothe like Mars overactivity. Um, But then you also want to treat like with like. So it's basically bringing a balance into Mars by approaching both Venusian and like Martian type of remedies. And this is actually kind of reflective too of, you know, having that Libra stellium because like temperance is going to be a big part of your, um, your process and, and how you manage your lifestyle. Uh, and again, there everything's going to be listed in the chart. But with Mars, we have like weight training again and movement is, in general is under Mars. Uh, whereas Venus is more about like flower essences and massage and being naked and, you know, doing kind of like uh, flowery, soothing, pleasurable stuff like that. 
So you can read through all these things and then kind of like decide what would feel supportive for you. Uh, and then, of course, if you go through different seasons in your life where you feel like you have like aggressive, like Mars aggravation, then you can kind of like call yourself back into your more like Venus um Venusian like happy place if you will uh and and vice versa we didn't really talk about like I know you, you mentioned some things in your intake form about having pains in different places um and so we actually didn't even get into like your movement practice but we can a little bit if you want to I'm not a personal trainer but I do have um like resources that I can send you if you're interested in getting more involved in in that yeah I um more recently just started doing some strength training stuff and it feels really good. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited. I feel like, Oh, like I can definitely feel stronger. Um, I think I was for some reason always kind of shied away from, from that. I'm not exactly sure why, but now I'm, yeah, I'm feeling like the benefits of it and yeah, less pain in my body for sure. Since starting that. Yeah, a lot of the women who come to me all say that they just recently started strength training. I feel like it's it's like having a moment, but it's all I'm also really happy for that because it's definitely I just remember being in my 20s and going a lot of to to these like insane like workout classes where you're like jumping all around and it's like hit and there's crazy music and you're just so fucking stressed like the whole time. <laughs> so, That's like, so not- yeah. I'm like, really love being in my own space, doing it at my own pace. <laughs> I did teach yoga for a while too. And I did practice yoga, but I, mm-hmm. I have been more interested in just like the walking the dog and the strength training for now. So that's great. Yeah. This is all like in alignment with like all of these recommendations. So that's good. Um, yeah. Oh, and then I was looking at Neptune, right? Cause Neptune is squaring the sun. So instead of, you know, strengthening the sun what we want to do look what we want to look at is bringing balance into neptune and neptune like i said is very diffusing um and confusing and can kind of like yeah scatter um or just like not scatters on the right word but i guess diffuse diffuse is the right word diffuse that vital force so um some some suggestions that i put in here are kind of like uranus slash Saturnian um, <laughs> like remedies just to kind of like bring uh, Neptune uh, to heal, I suppose. So it's going to be like a combination of, you know, ha- having your routines, having discipline and commitments. Um, Saturn also rules sobriety and Neptune is very, can be very challenging in terms of, you know, Neptune rules caffeine, alcohol, drugs, any like substances that alter the body in ways that it's not, um, you know, natural for it. Well, I mean, not that caffeine, like not that coffee isn't natural, but I think, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, yeah. So like, and I think you mentioned too, in your intake that you work with psilocybin a bit. Mm -hmm. How, how was that for you? Well, at first it was, it was great. And then at some point when I came back to it, I just had diarrhea. (laughs) No idea what's going on. All right. So I'm like not wanting to really (laughs) include it right now because I'm like, well, I guess it's just, it's really interesting. Just doesn't agree with me. (laughs) um, I think like I've started, you know, thinking about some different herbal remedies and 
Um, medicinal mushrooms are definitely on my radar and, um, yeah, reishi, especially I love, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you just kind of hit your like, wall with that remedy, right? Yeah. Maybe it did. It was yeah. helpful for a while. And then it's like on to, I don't need to continue to, um, to be supported by that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you're, you also have this challenging placement in your chart with Neptune. So it's possible that like, I'm very sensitive. Very sensitive. Like I just need like a drop anything. Like it's just, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't drink alcohol and I do have some caffeine. I have like a shot of espresso every day, like, Mm -hmm. but maybe experiment with, with that or not drinking it during my, my moon time perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can see how you feel. Um, when you let that go, you're, you're yeah. not giving me any reason to think that it's like required. Um, like you're not having like terrible trouble sleeping or anything like that. And you're not drinking excessive amounts, but it could, could be something to explore. Um, yeah. Cause you're, you're going to want to be cautious of substances like that, especially because you have this placement in your chart. So you might be more, like you're saying, you might be more sensitive than other people, or you might, um, yeah, hit your wall with some of these like Neptunian remedies sooner and not necessarily be able to work with something like mushrooms or psilocybin long-term because like your body's going to be like, this is like, yeah, it's like taking yeah. too much from the vital force. It's like not, not providing the right medicine anymore. So yeah, it's just something to, to pay attention to. Uh, so yeah, that's all very Saturnian stuff. Also minerals again, minerals is coming, coming through, um, salt baths, clay, uh, and then earthing and grounding and attention to EMFs again. So this is also going to be important for, I mean, it's obviously important for everybody, but Aquarian moons are particularly sensitive to their energetic field. So you might be more sensitive to other others when it comes to EMF. And, um, you know, when you start when you start enacting boundaries around devices, just in terms of your relationship to them and light, it will naturally create more separation um, between you and them in terms of the energetics. And then you can even take it a step further and unless you do already is turning off your router uh, when you go to bed at night or anything else in the house, that's kind of emitting signals like that. Cause that's also going to impact your fertility as well. Okay. Yeah. I even feel if I'm in different city, like really big cities, I just, I feel it. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad that it's a smaller place now. Um, yeah. And I have noticed that and we have, um, I would like to turn off the Wi-Fi. I will talk to my husband again about that. <laughs> <laughs> you can get, um, we used to have a uh, timers when we lived in our own space. We had like, uh, almost, it was almost like those little timers that you, hook like outdoor lighting into to automatically turn things on and off. Uh, and that way we didn't have to remember because <laughs> of course we would always forget. So you can, you can pick a time. Like if you know, okay, we're no longer as a household going to be using devices after the sun sets at like 7 PM or whenever it's obviously going to change as we get closer to the solstice. Um, but then you can, then you can set the, 
the timer so that it will automatically shut off the Wi-Fi for you around that time. And then it will, you can also set it so that it will turn it on again the next morning without you having to like, you know, remember and plug things in and, and out and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good hack too. Cause then you just don't have to think about it. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. Um, I wanted to backtrack on one more thing that you said. So you said that you've always kind of struggled a little bit with digestion and with elimination. So are you not using the bathroom every day or like, what's your frequency? Oh no, like more often or I mean, or sometimes seeing undigested food, you know, like I just feel like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I am going to, I didn't put them in yet because I usually take a day or two to ruminate (laughs) and and think about everything that we discussed. But I'm going to also include herbs that you can work with if you want to in the, my write-up. You said that you're already working. I usually recommend different like infusion combinations or herbs to use for steaming or like stuff like that. Um, What are you using now to make your infusions? Nettle, red raspberry and oat straw. And I've been loving hibiscus tea. A lot of people drink that tea. I've never had it. Why is it so popular? What does it taste like? <laughs> nice and tart. And I, I like, I guess I've heard like to drink things at room temp. I like it really cold. <laughs> the hibiscus tea cold on a hot day. It's nice. It's just like, mm. it's, it's nice and tart. Um, I think what else? Yeah, I do like the infusion idea. I like tinctures. Um, yeah, as far as like taking things. Yeah, but like supplements, no. <laughs> yeah, I never recommend them. Like, yeah, anything at the swallow. Though I do have some like liver pills and um, oyster pills, you know, like in the in the cupboard. I just haven't, I haven't been taking them. I don't know. They yeah. honestly don't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> I'm probably going to do an entire podcast episode about why they don't make sense. <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's like it's just I don't know I mean I used to like the idea of them because it's like oh a whole food supplement but it's like not really that simple Mm -hmm. and then so um, yeah no I will not be recommending any of that and then what about like magnesium like I once again I keep hearing like oh yeah take magnesium and even for headaches people said have you tried magnesium (laughs) Right. I can recommend to you what I, the the mineral drops that I use. And the reason why I like them is because they're kind of a whole food supplement in that it's basically concentrated seawater. So like all the minerals within it are in a balance that's naturally found in nature which is why I like to use it. And I definitely in the past have done the whole like taking straight magnesium thing. It doesn't make any sense. Like there's no food or drink or plant in nature that would deliver that much magnesium to your body without any other co-nutrients 
with it. Like it doesn't, it like literally does not make any sense, <laughs> you know, like to the body, like biologically speaking, like the, you would never, you would just never encounter that through any of your, any natural earth-based consumption. So the closest I get to supplementing minerals is by taking the, the mineral drops that I take. Um, like I said, I'll, I can send them to you. And I have noticed that a lot of things have improved for me through taking them, even in ways that like never improved previously when I used to take straight up magnesium supplements or powders or whatever, any of that stuff. So I've used it for a long time and I love it and recommend it. Uh, and of course you can also eat foods that are high in magnesium, um, which for some reason, the only thing that ever I ever remember when it comes to mag foods high in magnesium is beef heart. <laughs> Apparently beef heart has like tons of magnesium in it, which I just think is so cool. Cause actually beef heart, it's like heart is interesting cause it's technically an organ meat, but the heart is actually a muscle. So it's like way more palatable than eating liver or like any of that other stuff even though yes, all of those things can be good for you. If you're, if you're in, into that, good for you, right? Whatever they're nutrient dense. If you're, if you're into that, um, eating those things, but yeah, um, the hearts are interesting because they're just like, they're another kind of muscle. So yeah, they're not really like, they're, they're very nutrient dense, like organ meats traditionally are, but they don't taste so particular. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, so I'm gonna, send you what I use for that. And then I'll probably recommend something to support you in digestion that you can add to your infusions even. Uh, alfalfa is actually coming to mind because alfalfa is known um, to work with digestion and assist with food assimilation. Um, but yeah, also like if you're seeing undigested food, you know, like chewing really well is going to be a priority for you. Like, I don't know what your style of eating is like, but definitely like probably turning the dial down, eating way more slowly and chewing way more thoroughly than you're used to is like automatically going to help with digestion across the board. Um, and is foundational. Like you can't be not chewing your food, but then like taking alfalfa to help you digest all of the chunks of food that you're just like dropping into your body. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you have to work with like foundational like habits here. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, paying attention to, to that and being involved in preparing because being involved in preparing the food and be like, again, bitters versus like cooking, right? Like bitters are supposed to stimulate all of these digestive juices to help you process your food. But like, technically your body can already do that, but you need to like put yourself in a situation to like enable that to happen. So just like naturally by being around the food and preparing the food and smelling the food, it's going to dramatically impact how your body starts preparing to assimilate and digest that food. So getting involved in that is going to be more important than taking bitters. You know, if you wanted to work with bitters, in addition to doing that, that could be something that feels supportive for you. But you definitely can't do the bitters without the lifestyle. 
Does that make sense? That does make sense. Okay. Yeah. I think some of these like key um, shifts are going to be helpful. I think the light is going to be really helpful. I think the food thing and the cooking and the digestive practices are going to be helpful. Um, and I'm really curious to see how your migraines shift and your cycles shift once you get involved in that. And then, of course, continue with the strength training. I'm also going to send you um, a resource to help you with your back pain um, and all the other things that are going on that you mentioned in your intake form to support you through that. Yeah, that's where I would start. And then after that, you can, once you master that, see what happens, and then maybe we can, then I, then maybe I would explore more like herbal-based um, allies to maybe, I don't even know. I feel like the lifestyle thing is going to like really resolve it for you. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Like we can work with the herbs, like obviously to like help with the luteal phase and stuff like that. But like, I, I want to see what you can do first because you can do yeah. a lot <laughs> by yourself. Yeah. I love this because I've even, you know, looked at, oh, maybe I should order this tincture or that tincture to support my hormones. And it's just, it hasn't felt right completely, you know? Um, right. It's felt really like, but, but I am excited to see what can shift. And it's, a, it's like, it's hard. I think it's going to be harder just talking to my husband about that in our flow of the evening, right? Because yeah, get in a groove with watching a show or whatever, you know? But totally, yeah, yeah, totally. More opportunity for us to connect and to do different things. And like, um, yeah, that feels really good. Yeah, I'm excited for you. Thank you. Okay, so usually, like I said, I take a couple days just in case anything comes to me. I'm an emotional authority in human design. So I know you're human to human design. So <laughs> you know what that means. So I usually, um, yeah, I usually feel good like writing out my wave. And then sometimes I come up with additional ideas or I like I remember things that I forgot to tell you. Uh, and of course, like we didn't even go into like I didn't ask you about like every single product you have in your house and other like, you know, all these other, we didn't go into like deep, deep, deep layers, but you know, I think you can tell that there's, there's like layers to this process. And my goal here is never to like dump a billion things on you to do and don't overwhelm you. So like, that's why we're starting with these foundational things first. So of course, if you master some of these practices and then you can see how your body responds and then you can check back in with me again and then we can, you know, pivot from there. But I have a really like good feeling for you. Like I, I feel like you're like really close and you're going to have this like amazing cosmic conception. And then we're going to have you on the podcast to tell us all about it. <laughs> can't wait. I totally, I totally feel the same way. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Well, do you have any other questions or anything else that you want to be witnessed in before we let you go? I just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to talk. And like, it's, I feel like this has opened up a whole new door for me, you know? Um, 
in understanding where I've been, where I'm going. And, um, it's really exciting. And I, I especially just appreciate the simplicity. (laughs) The simplicity of like these, these shifts, you know, and how, how powerful they can be. And I just love that. I think it's really reflective of like the journey itself, you know, and how like this conception is, uh, it is this, this divine experience that you can't quite pin down. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that's really beautiful. So I appreciate yeah. you so much. Thank you.